everybody. This is Gerardo Munoz of the Two Dope Future My Podcast. Uh, flying solo today as Kevin is involved in some incredible music production stuff. We will keep you posted on that. As you know, he does all of the theme music for Two Dope Productions, and he has a chance to collab with some of his favorite musicians uh, right now. But we are here for a much-anticipated social-emotional learning roundtable uh, that will focus particularly on what we need to be doing for adults. So I'm here with Emily Santiago of the Center for Cognitive Diversity. I'm here with graduate student Paulina Whitehead, who's been doing a bunch of work um, around this same question. And I'm here with leader Dr. David David Gutierrez um, to sort of talk about this. And first, shout out to Emily for rallying the troops and finding some good folks who are willing to share. Paulina and David, just thank you so much for taking time out on a Saturday to talk about this important um, work. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, let's just talk about just some quick introductions, um, who you are, what brought you into the professional space that you're working in, and what is it that has sort of um, formed your commitment to, uh, to social emotional wellness for adults? And um, anyone can start. We'll have this be as conversational as possible. <laughs> Go ahead, David. Jump in. <laughs> All right, jump on in. All right. So um, I'm uh, yeah, Dr. David David Gutierrez um, in Sacramento. Uh, I'm uh, currently a principal at uh, Glenwood Elementary uh, in the Robles School District. Uh, it's my fourth year there. And uh, if you hear any barking in the background, that's my dog, Churro. <laughs> we welcome Churro. <laughs> <laughs> he might show up here a little bit later. That's all um, right. So I uh, originally was not going to be an educator at all. Like the thought of that with my experience growing up yeah. in the system, being, you know, a Chicanx, Latinx student, yeah. you know, ELD three times, I'm ELD 12 now, I think. So I'm getting up there. <laughs> so you, you've, <laughs> you, you, you've grown in your proficiency, yeah? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I think the, uh, the, the main thing for me was, you know, it was more of a, I was graduating with a double major and I was going to, you know, really get into a poetry master's program. And that was mm. going to be, I was going to be the next Pablo Neruda. There you go. Way more talented than me though. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I went to, to work, um, lived in Sacramento, but I commuted to Richmond, which is about a two, 90 mile commute. So two hours each way in traffic. Um, yeah. And I was I was brought there because during a, a job fair and I was kind of looking at, you know, getting married, my wife needed benefits, all that other stuff that, you know, being adult uh, things that come into play. But um, I think one of the things that uh, really impressed me was a Latino principal by the name of Julio Franco. Mm. And uh, and in during that walkthrough, like that job fair, he was so passionate, so charismatic, so um, animated that out of all the people I spoke to, I said, look, if I can make this commute, I would want to come work for you. And uh, so I, I went into uh, teaching social science, um, you know, and, you know, I think that uh, one of the things that impressed me about teachers in Mexico was that they always dressed up. Yeah. And, and, and you know, sometimes my colleagues didn't. And so I was like, yeah. well, I have, I'm the only Latino who's not the Spanish teacher yeah. on campus or the custodian. Yeah. So I have to, you know, really dress up. And, and so 
I started in Richmond teaching uh, 9, 11, 12, uh, social science, sometimes ELD, um, but I, I loved every minute of it. And mm-hmm. uh, when about four years, four and a half years into it, uh, I got into uh, administration and getting my master's admin credential. Yep. And uh, then I was in with Emily uh, at Helms Middle School. Okay. And uh, we they were doing some really amazing stuff there with Principal De Leon and uh, doing the turnaround process. And it was there that I really started seeing the secondary effects of trauma. Mm. Um, not just, not just, you know, in, in educators, but myself, obviously. Wow. So I started noticing those things. And, you know, Emily can, can attest that, you know, there were several times where I'm like, is that kid done? Cause I got to come in and talk to you. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a way for us to, you know, dealing with, with a lot of those stressors, whether big or small, um, you know, we're, we're internalizing those. And then when we internalize those, we're no longer, we're no longer at a good place where we can, you know, care for others if we're not able to care for ourselves. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from there, I went on to K-8 dual immersion. Uh, where I'm at now is a f- uh, elementary dual immersion school. Um, and during my doctorate program, you know, I started looking into all of a sudden cell was the new thing. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that I always uh, I try to do is look at the new trends and then look at how do those new trends impact uh, students and educators of color in yeah. particular, you know, when PBIS was coming out and it was the rage, right. great. But what do you do if you're a person of color? Is that that's right? There is a different standard, and there always has been. At least we of color, we know that. Right. Now it's coming to the forefront. Like, oh, really? No, I've been I've been Chicanx for 42 years. And yeah, that's right. Many many changes from from that. Yeah. Um, so so really looking at how does you know how, how does self care now apply to um, educators of color? Yeah. And, and you know to begin with, educators should have just almost like a, a practice within within the school day yeah that time within that school day to do a practice and not just i know that word gets thrown around self-care right don't forget to self-care yourself yeah yeah yeah, yeah. There, yeah hold on. <laughs> and that's a term will definitely work yeah, to, now it's so general but you know developed. yeah but in but part of it is like what what does that mean and so yeah. you know something like i try to do uh, every once in a while is you know five minutes before ten minutes before our staff meeting you know, I tell people, hey, I'm going to put on some Marconi Union. We can do just some yeah. mindfulness. Come in. Don't turn on your camera and just breathe. Take 10 minutes. You know, and, and that way, at least I'm giving tools so that when we say self-care, it doesn't just mean like, okay, go shopping or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's some coffee, so, here's some, yeah. Here's some coffee to like not actually relax you, but. <laughs> <laughs> here's yeah. some Red Bull, yeah. That's right. Um, so, so that's that's kind of where where I've been completely involved now in in making sure number one that all educators um, need to to have that time within the day to to practice self care almost like a prep if you will yeah um, but also be given the tools maybe during credentialing because we're seeing the high levels of turnout even uh, tur- uh, burnout even more of turnover and we're going to see that now skyrocket with this pandemic. Um, and, and it really is because we're, no one is talking about self-care for educators. It's all about social emotional learning for students. And uh, believe me, number one, yes, but you can't transfer what you don't possess. That's right. If you don't do it yourself, you're not going to be able to, you know, like in the uh, uh, airplane, right? You take, put your mask on first before you put it on the kids. 
Right. Right. Yeah. And it, what's interesting. So we had an episode a couple of weeks ago with Dr. April Alexander, who teaches forensic psychology at the University of Denver. And one of the things that she talked about regarding trauma is that when we taught, when we've got people going and preparing and you know, she's in a psychology department, um, but preparing people to address issues of trauma, oftentimes they've not ad- addressed their own issues of trauma. And so they're echoes of what you say and kind of her words too. Um, Paulina, do you want to talk a little bit about your path into the um, space that you're in? You're working on a, on a doctorate um, in a related field, but would love to know about how you sort of, what are the experiences you, you've had that kind of led you into this space? Sure. Um, my name is Paulina Whitehead. I'm Diné, and that's Navajo for people that don't know who Diné are. And I grew up in, in Northern Arizona on Diné territory. And when I first went to, started out with, um, went into college, I was a business major Mm. and I was studying um, either to go into finance or accounting. Okay. And, but then I started working with some, with a school district in Mesa, in, in Mesa, Arizona, and it's the largest public school district in Arizona. And I started working with their, at that time, now it's a Title VI program. It's the Johnson O'Malley program. And it's for um, American Indian students who go to public schools. It's like a special program. It's like a supplement program. And I started working for them. And I was still going to school at the time. And we did a summer program. And it was mostly tutoring. And I was like a liaison to try to resolve um, issues that Indigenous students had in the public school systems, whether it was attendance, whether it was health issues, behavior issues, what have you, just a myriad of issues that we were trying to resolve. So kind of like trying to serve the school district plus trying to serve um, the families plus the student and just going around and around trying to help. And the director of the program told me that I, I was really, worked really well with the students after we did a summer a summer program on a nearby um the salt river indian maricopa community and she's like why don't you be a teacher and i'm like i hear the teachers are you know they don't get paid a lot of money for for the effort that they put in there so i'm like i'm gonna keep going on with my like my my business knowledge kind (laughs) of makes me think that this may be a zero-sum sort of proposition exactly and I was starting the fall term again. I think it was in 1999. I'm dating myself, but um, there was an opportunity that came along for um, paras that were working for indigenous paras that wanted to go into teaching. Oh, and wow. So, so the director put it. She gave it to me like this app, like two hours before the deadline. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, and this she's is last like, second. Please yeah. really do this. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I've been trying to get a hold of you and I can't get a hold of you because we were out in the field. Sure. So I called the director um, for Center of Indian Education at Arizona State University. And I think it was the acting director at that time, Dennis Veery. And she knows him. So she said, ask Dennis if he can um, accept your app. And so I'm like furiously typing and I don't, I don't even think I had a computer at the time. I think I went wow. to Kinko's or something. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a throwback. Definitely. <laughs> and I, Dennis is like, yeah, just put it under my door. And, 
and accepted and I didn't hear anything for like three weeks and I thought maybe they've forgotten my app and went on and and then all of a sudden they they call and said we're going to interview and that's how I became a teacher and I really wanted to to get into education and it was because when I was working in that school district there were some indigenous students but there was no positive like there was no teachers that looked like them in the classrooms they were mostly um, non-indigenous peoples mostly Caucasian so of course students aren't going to relate to to their teachers and struggle and so I went into that for that reason and then after that went through the program and worked in Phoenix one of the school districts in Phoenix where the minority were the majority which was you know way different and I was teaching um, students who were learning English and most of the students that were there were mostly um, from Spanish-speaking countries and and we got students from that were refugees from Africa as well, like were you know impacted by war in Afghanistan. So it was totally, yeah. you know, that was like a total different experience. But the students, I feel like they like, especially the Spanish speaking students, they related to me because I kind of look like them and they're like, you know, wanted to talk about stuff. And I was like, okay, we're talking about this. And they also wanted to learn. I think I had a good relationship with them because I kind of look like them and they and I took time to listen to them and see what they were struggling with especially if they were new because that they have a whole set of issues when when you're new and you're a new immigrant and then I went to teach on Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in Mm. South Dakota and that was totally totally sobering and humbling experience and that's my my um back my virtual background is um of pahasapa i was wondering yes yeah and that's right at the base of black elk peak which took a while to to rename that place because it was called something else after a colonizer and that took that was a hard battle to fight to change that but that was very humbling because um i have some part of my family are lakota and if anybody knows their history they were dealt a very bad hand because they actually resisted and you know resisted the the you know the government and stood up to the government and they were so I worked in that community and I that was probably the best experience I ever had teaching and even though the students had a lot of issues at home I feel like the school was a tribal grant school and so they were able to t- determine their own destiny yeah. and I think you know they were empowered so they did things and at that time there was a rash of suicides by students and that was really hard to work with yeah. to deal with because students you know everyone knows each other and there's everyone's related to each other and if something like that is impacting the community it's felt everywhere so just working with that and at that time I didn't know anything about historical trauma or any of those because I think we knew what it was but I just didn't understand what that was and then I went to Penn State and even there I still we I still didn't understand um historical trauma and I went there to be um to be a principal and I and then 
after that experience, I, I guess it just wasn't meant for me when I did my internship. It's just so many issues, especially in Native schools. And when I went, then I went back into teaching and that's when I realized that, you know what, this trauma, it, it, there's something that has these effects. And I was working with students who were on the verge of um, being identified for special education and trying to right. do some interventions to see if they really if they really need special education support because um, um, Indigenous students, they're disproportionately um, overrepresented in special education right. and get referred to that. So, and it's usually for behavior issues or sure. for other learning issues. So I'm like, you know, there's gotta be more to this and that's how I, and then in my last position before I came to, went back to to get a to get a doctor degree to pursue one i was like totally burnt out at that point and i'm like i know if that people are burnt out there's teachers that are burnt out just yeah. like me yep. everywhere because we're there's we're just dealing with a lot of issues and it seems like the issues in our society are not getting less they're getting more there's more of them and they're yeah. even i don't that's and then that's when I met Emily and when I was in graduate school and she I learned more about how to help you know teachers support them with their SEL plus the students because I think there's a lot of focus on students you know helping them with their SEL but not with but not so much with with teachers and right. in fact it's the opposite it's like let's put more on the teachers rather than how do we help them yeah Thank you, Paulina. That's so amazing. And uh, and where are you working out of now? Oops, sorry. I'm, no, I'm currently in Eugene, Oregon, okay. and I'm working on the, getting my dissertation proposal in order because I seem like I can't figure out what I'm going to study. There's just too many things. Right. Yeah. So so much. <laughs> yeah, I finally landed on something that I'm going to pursue. Awesome. Congratulations. That's huge. 1.1% of the population has a PhD. And I think that is beautiful that you're doing that. Um, in a moment, um, we'll kind of delve into this question of uh, both uh, Dr. Gutierrez and soon to be Dr. Uh, Paulina Whitehat um, have both made reference to why there's the fact that there's a lot of discussion about SEL regarding students, but less regarding teachers. So we'll have you speak to that in just a moment as to why that is. Um, and then the individual who has made all of this possible, Emily Santiago, welcome back to the show. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with Emily, go back and listen to our SEL episode that we did a few months back. Um, but Emily, welcome back. Tell us a little bit about um, just your role and what you what you work on. Yeah, thank you so much, Gerardo, for, for having me. And I'm really honored to share the stage with David and Paulina. Just, it's a dream to be able to bring educators together to talk about these kind of issues. Um, I've been kind of an educational nomad. I'm a, a white educator. Santiago is my last name by marriage, but um, I've taught preschool through university in various settings, urban, rural, international schools, and just saw so many themes, you know, the need for addressing the social emotional needs of kids and teachers. Uh, I became a school psychologist uh, about 12 years ago and um, just witnessed the mass turnover 
of our teachers in schools. So when we're trying to do interventions that work for students, if we lose half our teachers every year in our schools, we can't get to a place where we're gonna have a healthy supportive environment for kids. Um, so that became my mission about three years ago. I left being a school psychologist, especially for some of the reasons Paulina talked about where we're looking at individual kids as the source of the problem when it's a systemic problem. And I founded the Center for Cognitive Diversity, uh, which is uh, co-sponsored by Cal State East Bay, where I was teaching. And it, the focus was not only on training teachers on the impact of trauma, but really to hold space for educators to talk about what's happening for them and to reflect and to be able to build the emotional capacity to really respond. Yeah. Um, so we have found that uh, our supervision sessions that support educators can deeply decrease burnout and help people disrupt some of the systemic oppression that we're witnessing in schools in a better way. So yeah. why I'm here. I'm so excited. So I just have to tell you all as as a as a crew, um, I have a friend who um, who does some work on uh, local NBA basketball, Denver Nuggets. Sorry, I hope that doesn't ruin anybody's uh, relationship with me. Um, but uh, but he talks about how the vibes are immaculate and I feel like the vibes here are immaculate. So thank you all. Uh, for for being here and for being in this space. So um, let's get into the first question. I think this is a really critical one to ask. Um, all three of you have made reference to this. Um, social emotional wellness and social emotional learning have um, gained a lot of attention and it's debatable as to whether it's the right kind of attention and whether um, folks using those terms really know what they mean. Um, but what we agree on is that there hasn't been a lot of talk of social emotional learning as and social emotional support and wellness as it relates to educators who are student facing, uh, who are working with kids in some capacity in buildings every day. Why do you all think that is? Why do you think that this conversation is not part of the main conversation that's happening? And just from your own experiences or research, research is good too. <laughs> I think there's fear and shame with opening up that conversation with adults. It's safe with kids, you know, to say you're experiencing distress. We're going to provide you supports. But when we acknowledge the adults are experiencing distress, it's not about skill development. It's really about changing a system, you know, that we're always looking at adults that, you know, and, and having them say like, I'm struggling. And that feels scary, right? Like if a teacher says I'm struggling, people quickly want to put them in a box and say, well, that's, you're burned out, you have problems. But when they acknowledge that so many of us are struggling, then we have to recognize that there are deep changes that need to be made in a system. So you're, you're, you're saying that, uh, that some of it ha has to do with the fact that addressing adult SEL has more policy and systemic implication than our day-to-day -day interactions with young people. Like we can, we can engage that conversation more easily with young people in our immediate classrooms than the system is willing to do. Yeah, the way we address SEL with young people right now is that we're helping them develop a skill, right? We're helping them deal with stress and cope. But for adults, we have developed the skills and we're still getting overwhelmed. Yeah. So, uh, skill development isn't isn't the only way to change this. It really does involve changing a system, which is which feels overwhelming for leaders. And yeah. Absolutely. Fortunately, 
uh, we'll have we'll have our crew talk a little bit about um, what that may start looking like in uh, the months and years to come. Uh, Dr. Gutierrez, uh, so your notion on this, on why is it yeah. that we're not spending this time with uh, adults? Yeah, I definitely want to want to echo um, what Emily's saying. Um, there's there's definitely a stigma around it. Mm-hmm. You know, mental health, uh, social emotional health. You know, there 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 is that. Even amongst adults, I, I know I've been pushing this within within my district, and my district's really good as well as at uh, trying to to meet the needs. Um, and so we we would have a professional development on there, but I think part of that the mistake was we were all in one big huge um, setting where if we start to talk about anxiety, we start to talk about our own um, you know triggers. People would look at their peers and be like, oh, yeah, that's funny. Oh, yeah. You know, self-care. Why? Yeah. 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 I could, I could, I was seeing it in the back, like, okay, we're getting this, but we're not getting it because it's not coming in. And and it was almost like everyone had their guard up from, you know, the administrators all the way down to, you know, the the, um, nutrition workers, everyone was, was, had their guard up. Like this is, it's almost felt like, you know, I'm, if I admit that I might have an issue, maybe I'm not that professional or I'm not that, you know, I'm having problems. I'm supposed right. to be the person in charge or I'm supposed yep. to be the person in control of these things. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard uh, with just that effective filter, not right. to mention the, the supports themselves are not there from, from, you know, policy all the way down. If this was something that, um, you know, was a part of the culture and a part of the policy. Uh, I could see this permeating later on. Right. You know, we, we, other professions have this. Other professions, mm. you know, have have that opportunity for you to um, be able to check in, or um, you know, and I, this is kind of one of the reasons why I, I am a participant in the um, uh, uh, supervision uh, session that uh, sessions that uh, Emily. Uh, puts on because I think this is a really good opportunity for us to really look at, at, at things from our own personal growth levels of, of mental and social emotional health. And so having, having those opportunities, even that helps, you know, it really, it, you know, looking at it also from that policy level of this should be mandated almost, Yeah, you know, because it's, if, if a police officer fires a gun, they have to go and talk to someone. Right. Yeah. But if we're hearing that, someone you know committed suicide which is something that has happened yeah you know we're expected to come in the next day and try to juggle around it teach through it what what is and and how do we get that um as a policy that's you know oh here's a brochure go see this no this should be something that's part of your a part of your duties yeah and you know i think that's where where we go with it yeah, that's really interesting and um, would be really interested as we kind of continue to hear more about the other professions that offer this because um, I personally am not aware of a lot of templates for this, which is why even as a teacher leader at my school, I, I don't always know where to go for resources and that kind of thing. So we'll, we'll uh, discuss that a little bit um, in a minute. Um, uh, Paulina, uh, some some things that you would add to that as to why is it that there's such a lack of a conversation regarding SEL 
um, as it relates to adults in schools. I do agree with what Emily and Dr. Gutierrez have mentioned that about the stigma and and part of the issue too is that I think it's difficult to for school systems to acknowledge the SEL of and the wellness of the teachers or the staff because some of the stressors that contribute to to I guess teacher burnout and you know, like just teacher stress. Yeah. They're beyond um, the teacher's control. Yeah. And systems are slow to change or yeah. they don't want to change and they don't want to hear like what needs to change right. because they're so used to doing things a certain way. Right. They want to keep doing it. Yeah. And then, and then in some buildings, you have um, leaders who are not that effective yeah. and how are they going to respond to what teachers want and then you have school district leaders who sometimes are not very effective i mean there are some effective leaders out sure. there sure. and that <clears throat> that might include you know listening to to what the the teachers in that district or in that school building are saying and i had a conversation with some teachers from and administrators from the southwest and I was shocked that the administrators did not want to put the time into like offering mm. um, supervision or other SEL supports for teachers because they said wow. it's too much time. It's, you know, we don't have time to do this. Even right now in one of the most traumatic 13 month stretches that we have experienced in our lives. Yes. Wow. And I was just like shocked, like where's the yeah. empathy, where is you know, just that human response to yeah. other humans who are asking for help and who are saying you're, we're, we're stressed out, we need some yeah. help. And it's just kind of like, and then the other thing I had gathered from that is just that they speak to them like the teachers are them and we're over here. So we're not even mm -hmm. connected. Yeah, we're not even talking like all of us in our community, teachers and admins, right? That's that's typically the expectation. Yeah, just the language was just like them there. Like mm -hmm. they're a total different entity. They're not even like talking like we or us or, you know, that kind of language. So that was kind of shocking to me wow. as as somebody I don't know why it's shocking to me, but it well, is. shocking and maybe disappointing that, yeah. you know, because I think a lot of times when we, when we, when we're in circles as educators and we're talking about what we need, typically, typically the understanding is, well, we would love to do things if we just had the resources and here you are offering a resource, offering a conversation, like, nah, we're, we don't want to do that. And, um, and that, that does strike me as something that would be deeply disappointing. The fact is that ed, uh, teaching is one of the highest careers impacted by burnout in the country, mm -hmm. that in healthcare. Yeah. And we lose 45% of our teachers in, in the first five years of teaching. So yeah. there's something going on there that has shifted. And with the pandemic, that's probably increased even more. And yeah. you see the kind of intersection of uh, expecting more out of educators, but giving them less agency. I think if we looked at a trend over 20 years, teachers' salaries in 20 years have 
gone down by 15% average, but no child left behind has caused our responsibilities and expectations that we completely change outcomes for students to go up. You can't decrease our agency and increase your expectations, you know, so there's something shifting there. Um, that we have to address because teachers are kind of pinned in a corner, even during the pandemic, right? That they're the ones we have to open schools because kids are in distress. Yeah. So we are being recognized that we are the ones that provide the emotional support to children. You know, like we're there to co-regulate when parents are overworked or parents are have their hands full with lots of other right. things. Right. Right. But where, where, when is our stress stress going to get relieved so we can? properly co-regulate with kids and be there for them when they're when they need yeah. and and what are what are the opportunities to do that in community like i finally had a little bit of a little bit of an aha moment myself in terms of the needs i have i've had a really tough like six months especially and um and i realized that one of the things i personally need is community i need people around me um and this is why people start getting podcast invitations <laughs> it's like there are people talking about this thing and it's people that i think are really cool so let's bring them all together and then i can have some healing <laughs> um but i think also uh the thing so as you were kind of talking about teachers often either implicitly or explicitly being expected to sort of pick up the slack for lack of a better, um, a better phrase, maybe make up the difference for parents that are struggling, parents that are in crisis. Um, it makes me think of that really double-edged thing that a kid will sometimes say to me. And it's like, Oh, you're like my school dad. And, um, and that, and I know that comes from a place of love and affection and like respect and that kind of thing. But then there's also the part of me that's like, Oh man, (laughs) I'm not qualified to be your dad. Like I'm barely qualified to be my teenager's dad. (laughs) And, you know, um, and it's a lot. And that makes me sort of think of if you all have any thoughts, this is off the top of my head. Um, if you all have any thoughts around, the idea that to Emily's point, as we increase responsibilities on classroom teachers in particular and educators in buildings in general, um, is there a concern that we're kind of being shouldered with some expectations that maybe we're not really good at? Like I am an empathetic, nice person, I think, but what I know how to do is no substitute for what Emily knows how to do as a professional in this field, as Paulina knows how to do as an expert um, in this field and who's devoted time to this as Dr. Gutierrez is in his expertise around both these issues and school leadership. Is there a place where maybe we shouldn't be asking this of teachers? Yeah, I think we all have to acknowledge that there are huge issues in this time that schools face and teachers face directly, like witnessing mass poverty and income inequality, gun violence in our communities. These are really heavy, huge issues that we face daily. Um, And schools are a great place to address societal issues, but we can't do it alone. So as you said, Gerardo, that need for community is so great. So we need to become a hub of support, but we can't do that. We can't just do that ourselves. And right now, I think most schools, unless they're a full service community school that's working really beautifully, um, they do shoulder a lot of this without enough resources. And that responsibility gets held by our educators. They are like the first responders to so many issues in society. And we are not giving them the supports to be first responders. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was, it's interesting. I uh, So this isn't going to sound super relevant, but I went to um, the first Denver Nuggets game that had fans in the arena. And um, and as teacher of the year and as I, I got this, also the, the best award was the Denver Nuggets most valuable teacher for the month of December, which meant that I got tickets. And so I got to go on the night that they did bring in first responders and frontline workers. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I'm, I'm definitely not doing some of this work that paramedics and medical professionals and, um, you know, uh, emergency responders who are exposed through this. But but I've been here and my spouse who teaches ECE has been in person for all but maybe four weeks of this entire school year um, in a pandemic. And so it's interesting because I think that a lot of us teachers also would not see ourselves as first responders. But the way you kind of frame it is sort of important. It's like we're, it is, imagine being a paramedic without an ambulance. Um, you know, how are you doing that? Um, David, you look like you were going to um, jump in with this uh, kind of question of the role of community and how. Um, these supports may be able to be put in place? Well, you know, I, I do think that there is a lot more being put on on schools. You know, it's that trickle-down effect of, of a lot more with a lot less, right? We're, we're trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. now. It's oh, yes. Thank you for that reference. <laughs> now it's even less. Now, you yeah. know, we're trying to make a dollar out of five cents. It's, yeah. um, it, it's a lot. And, you know, I've often heard that, you know, schools are microcosms of society, but in, in, in my view, I've seen schools as a reflection of society. Mm. You can't change society by, by trying to change the reflection. You have to, you know, you can't change how you look by trying to change the reflection in the mirror. Right. It's, it's to me, you know, these factors that, that um, you know, we're, we're all inflicted with are, are from outside in. I mean, when you think about all the colorblind uh, perspectives that are out there. That's, that's yeah. not just a school. That's right. That's our, that's our entire society. Yeah. You know, as a person who's actually colorblind, I'm kind of offended sometimes, but right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the big thing for me is I look at it as, as the community approach, like uh, Emily was saying has been one of the models that I've seen work the best when we're bringing in partnerships from the food bank or bringing in partnerships yeah. from uh, you know, community uh, mental health, situation we're bringing in the dentist we're bringing in you know the health van you know mm. sharing those resources making that a hub that's that's one way but to be honest um you know professional sports is one of those places that i i always look at as you know this is what we could do if we had unlimited funding that's right? right that's like, right we wouldn't we wouldn't ask you know uh clinic to go and, and hang out with the nuggets because we can't pay for, you know, your right. medical exam or something. That's right. right? It's, That's right. It's, it's really, it's, it's not just more than underfunded. It's the policies in place yeah. um, are, are not, are not built for support. They're built on a hierarchy, which is the exact same system that we're dealing with now. Yeah. Um, so, and it trickles down from superintendent, from the board to the superintendent, to the district office, to the principal who then has to bring it down to, you know, certificated classified teachers or classified uh, staff and certificated staff. And then that trickles down to even, you know, the students at the center. You have right. to take the, the state test. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's, it's that whole, you know, on, on one level, we're the street level bureaucrats where we can make those decisions, you know, on a dime. But at the end of the day, the bigger policies, the political system and society, it's still not changing. We can make tweaks. Yeah but our students are going to leave our schools and they're going to go right back into the other society, right? The That's bigger right. society, the, the, right. 
you know, and I, I often talk to to my staff members about, you know, I want you to think that, you know, all the racial unrest and 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 right. stuff that's going on, our students are seeing it when they leave our schools as well. That's right. You know, they see it when someone talks to their parent and the way they talk to their parent. Yeah. And they're bringing that into their backpacks with their books and their pens and mm-hmm. all this racialized historical trauma as well. Yeah. And, and it's wow. making their load even heavier too. That's incredible. That's so deep too. And especially now that we're seeing some overall community fallout and some pain and trauma um, with the killings of Adam Calderon and of uh, Dante Wright most recently, but also the trauma of um, of the Derek Chauvin trial. Um, those of you who are following it, um, uh, Kelisa Wing, a, a good friend of the podcast, wrote a piece on um, education posts you all should check out. It's linked on our website. So, um, so I think it would be cool to pivot um because i think when we this so this is where the conversation gets really tough right it's like yeah there are a lot of things that are out of our control and uh paulina you made a lot of reference to historical trauma as being one of the reasons that these things are so difficult to address and so difficult to face and work within um i would like us to talk a little bit about what we are seeing that is actually um effective in terms of engaging SEL work. Uh, So what are things that you all are learning in your work and research or uh, seeing leaders, districts, adult policymakers doing that are maybe starting to disrupt this sort of what I would call like, and what Paulo Freire would kind of refer to as the naive consciousness around social emotional learning Um, and the naive consciousness being, hey, Take a day off. It's fine. I got a Starbucks card for you. It's cool. Um, let's let's have a let's have a staff potluck and those kinds of things. And while those can feel really good in the moment, we I think everybody on this call knows that those are insufficient. So let's start with you, Paulina. Um, some of the things that you are seeing that are actually a little bit more effective um, that are being done in different spaces to address social emotional needs of adults. I guess some some of the things that I've seen or come across is where um, when people actually listen to each other and and document like what are the needs and and then respond to them like actively mm-hmm. respond and say okay this is what I'm hearing and this seems to be not only do I hear it one time but I'm hearing it like a dozen times or so many times and this is how I'm going to react to that and in a, in a good way like in a positive way yeah. to try to resolve that and then actually doing something about it and yeah. then then asking for the you know for the people who are who are asking for this help to maybe partner like what should it look like what should this response look like? Yeah. And it might need to be tailored and some of the responses need to be need to be tailored. And I know that, you know, like some some practices like meditation and yoga and some of those, those are good, but they're kind of like a one size fits all kind That's of um, responses. Right. And and sometimes, you know, that doesn't work for people. And I've heard I've had a you know, I've heard some people that are kind of um studying the same thing saying 
that's kind of like when we when we engage in those kind of things like mindfulness and meditation it works to a certain extent but we're basically um kind of like the metaphor of the the frog being boiled we're right. yeah. kind of giving the frog right. tools to to stay calm while they're boiling right and <laughs> so so we need better you know we i guess just talking things out and yeah responding like what are the needs and mm-hmm. and i draw back on indigenous restorative practices yeah. like talking circles where you know before colonization there was no need for the police or for prisons or mental health because we talked to each other we sat down and wow. we resolve issues and i think that's kind of something that that we need to do that's like effective listen and it's so many times um we don't listen to each other because we're we're out of touch or because policies don't allow us to listen to people but i just feel like that's one of the most effective things and it's very very simple it doesn't take a lot of effort it doesn't take you just listen and come up with something together as a community as you know listen yeah, I think that's really powerful. Like, uh, it, it makes me actually think of my uh, principal. Shout out, Marisa. Um, you know how much peace I have knowing that. You know, so I've been really concerned about my child's kind of like mental state, having been on a screen as an adolescent for this entire school year, and levels of exhaustion, which leads to um, depressive feelings and these kinds of things. And I remember when they were setting my master schedule, I remember asking, hey, will it be okay if I like, if I leave early sometimes just to be with my kid and just to make sure that she's got everything that she needs and support her. And you know, what was amazing was that she just said, of course, absolutely. And there was no caveat. There was no, well, as long as you this and as long as that happens and just make sure you don't and just make sure you do and just make sure that you, you know, there were no other directives that came with it. And I'll tell you as this semester, and I think I shared with all of you that I've had a really tough semester as this semester has gotten difficult um, knowing or at least believing um, that the answer is always going to be yes when it comes to being here for my family and for myself. Um, it just gives me a lot of peace as I engage this work that I have a leader that's not going to um, look at me sideways if I'm trying to take care of myself. What are some other thoughts on, on that thing? You know, and, and, and Pauline, I love the simplicity and I want people to not confuse simplicity with easy, right? It's not easy, but it is simple um, that you have a conversation, you authentically listen and you act in a way that that individual in front of you needs you to. Um, and so again, simple, not easy, but definitely simple. Um, so other thoughts on um, what we can do, what has been done systemically uh, that is supportive to the social, emotional well-being of adults in schools. Yeah, well, to, to go off what Paulina has shared about the power of listening. I think structured spaces for teachers to feel heard and to listen to each other is incredibly valuable. Um, What we've been doing is we bring together teachers and principals from across the country, you know, that understand each other's profession, but don't necessarily work directly together. And we meet every month for reflective supervision, just to talk about those experiences 
and being heard by each other and feeling seen and understood is what everybody, yeah. right? That's what our students need. Yeah. And um, we need our educators to feel the same way. So that model for us has felt really powerful because when you feel listened to, when you feel heard, you're able to advocate for what you need. And there is no one size fits all. And self-care is a piece, but if you have self-care on your own and you're not able to debrief and talk about the impact of, you know, teachers talk about the impact of having a child in the classroom who's experienced the same trauma they've experienced, you know, that has to be said, that has to be heard. Yeah. And when we have that, then you're able to think through, trust yourself more and ask for what you need in a way that's healthy rather than just uh, vent to others or rather than um, go in and not have a fully constructed vision of what you need and, and ask for it in a way that doesn't result in in change. You know, so so the listening is the core piece, but all of us. Uh, are working on developing that skill for sure. Absolutely, yeah. And as a society, I think Paulina, you you made reference to that that we struggle with that as a society right now. Uh, you know, what's really what I love about what you just said is trusting yourself, knowing as an adult person that I'm having a hard time right now, and it's not because I am a flawed person who is not good at this. It's because I am a person who feels pain and. The more, you know, what, what I've kind of noticed, and I've read some of the um, resources on, on your site, um, the more I've kind of thought about it is like, I can actually, I can sit in the space of not knowing what I need um, and just being aware that I have a need and I haven't identified it yet. And uh, that's kind of allowed me to arrive into a better spot with, uh, with my struggles. So thank you for that. Getting people to internalize distress as their own personal failure is a tool of oppression, right? Yes. All the time. It ha happened to women. It happened to, uh, you know, people of color for, for centuries. And, yep. really need, and it's happening to educators. We need to shift that, that when we're experiencing distress, we don't immediately blame ourselves. We have to look at what's going on in our environment that, and that's true for children. And it's definitely true for our teachers right now. Yeah. It's so great tool of the oppressor. And it makes me think of the characteristics of white supremacy, um, particularly those around uh, policy over humanity and, um, and sort of the urgency as opposed to let's sit in the space and figure it out. Uh, Dr. Gutierrez, what would you add to that? Oh man. Where do I start? Million things. Uh, no, I, I do want to, you know, re remind, and I try to remind everyone that, you know, the pandemic was hardcore and, and it's, there's no one that can tell me we're not affected in some way or another, Period. Um, you know, at all. But now that transition is happening, that's also causing the same level of stress Yep. because we don't even know if this is going to be a real transition. Right. And we don't know if, you know, we're going to have to, lock back down you yeah. don't know if we can hang out and play basketball with our friends that's right how close can we get that's right um you know it's causing just about the same amount of stress even though we're seeing that light at the end of the tunnel that's right that that level of of, of anxiety stress and, and and trauma isn't yeah i mean that light crazy. that light real talk might be a train like <laughs> but yeah. we know there's a light there you know yeah. it was a firefly i don't know i mean exactly. you know it's so so it, it it definitely is um it is something that we have to be mindful and and you know as as a principal it's hard when we do have to go through and walk that line between um you know administrator and advocate 
Yeah. You know, I have to walk those lines. Right. Um, you know, and, and I've, I've, I've chosen to, to try to be more of a humanistic, uh, principle, but that's a, that's a tough place to be. Sure. Because hey, you're say more about that. Yeah. The entire system, you know, when, when you're saying, when that person says to you, yeah, go ahead, you know, you have to take care of your family, go right ahead, which is right. would have been my, my response as well. Yeah. But then there's that back end of why did you let that person go? You know, what is this? You know, so it really it um it's hard for for on, on multiple levels. But what what I have seen that, you know, we can we can dig into the problem and, and talk about, you know, how many how deep the rabbit hole goes. But right. what we can't what I can say that you know, things like the the um, reflective supervision is something that um, I think all administrators should should have. I think it's something that allows us to look at, at things from an outside point of view yeah. and not internalize it, right? Allows us to to look, have even a trauma-informed lens on certain mm-hmm. situations with someone else who kind of knows what you're going through right? and maybe even has a resource and says, oh, well, you know, for this student, I would say, have you tried this? Sure. Have you tried that? And and mm-hmm. really it, it it brings it down from, from inside of me to outside of me now. And now it's now it's a problem that we can solve. Now it's something that's not internalized and I have to bring home to my family. Um, You know, and uh, you know, another thing that I've seen uh, that I always promote is, um, you know, there's a uh, organization, California Association of Latino Superintendents and Administrators. And uh, they do these um, periodically, they do uh, circulos Mm. where, you know, we, we look at self-care practices. Um, We, we, um, I've, I've, been able to go to one or two and and they're phenomenal because it really is it's a Saturday of my life but it's a Saturday that I'm getting back you know exponentially later because we're then able to to meet others have that community and then you know as a group kind of say what are our caras what what are our our extra um, burdens that we're going through Mm. you know what you know what are the things that are going well um, those are powerful, and uh, and being able to talk about some of these, especially racialized trauma. I mean, yeah. that, that we're put under the gun. You know, uh, my my dissertation, I was able to uh, interview about ten uh, uh, principals, Chicanx principals, and yeah. um, and and you know the similarities across the board of just the things that they have to put up with. You know, even yeah. that resonate even with me. You know, when I when I come in, like, oh, are you the custodian? Uh, the custodian wears yeah. a suit. Like, yep. come on, man. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's that racial battle fatigue. It's the equity fatigue. All of those things, you know, they, they get to you, too. And, and uh, so for me, I look at, um, you know, my go-to over here, my grandmother's hands. I mean, this is something that I think yeah. every person needs to be reading. Who, who's, who's the author? I didn't see the author. I just saw the oh, title. Uh, Razma uh, Menikin. Oh, awesome. Grandmother's hands. Yeah, it's, I'm telling you, it's, it's. For, um, you know, uh, I, Paulina, you were saying something about, um, you know, the mindfulness practices that we have. It's similar to the PBIS uh, wave that was going through, right? You know, we have to go through these uh, uh, different little strategies just to be positive to kids, yeah. right? I mean, the simplicity of it is just be right. like the kids, right? <laughs> you don't right. have to give points. You know, I'd have to tell teachers, don't even give them tickets. Just say, you know, just notice something positive about that student yeah. uh, you know Jose Ortega y Gasset says uh, tell me what you notice and I'll tell you who you are mm. right? and and those are simple things that are hard 
right? Yeah. Even even saying what we need, that's simple, right? Tell me what you need. No, that's hard. We don't even know what our needs are. I mean, no. you know, I've uh, recommend another book, Nonviolent Communications. It lists out needs. These are needs, yeah. you know, and feelings. People say, oh, I feel misunderstood. That's not a feeling, right? That's an opinion. Yeah. A feeling is a happy angry mm, and, yeah. and needs right there there are needs needs for community there's needs for um you know connection yeah. those are needs right not yeah. not a car but yeah, yeah. <laughs> right but we're not we're not we're not um we are not programmed to talk about needs we we think about needs and then we're needy right we think about right. needs and yep. we're a burden yeah oh you know hey i don't know hey can you i don't you know it's so hard and then we start comparing ourselves to other people around us and saying, well, Dr. Gutierrez seems to really have it together and he's a Chicano like me. So like, what's wrong with me? I'm flawed. Like, like Emily's so together, you know, Paulina's so together, what's wrong with me? And so it, you know, you start kind of looking out there um, at yeah. your own deficits. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, the simplest one, sorry, is just mindful awareness, just starting to notice. And, that, and that's yeah. one place where I go, just notice start to notice when your anxiety levels start to go up, start to say, you know, and just noticing it's that, you know, what are you noticing and how can that change your perspective? Yeah, great. Emily. Uh, we do have a free tool on our website called the Dynamic Empowerment Assessment we've been using with schools. And it really, wow. as you, it reframes looking at ourselves, like we don't compare ourselves to others. We go through different cycles of needs, like our yeah levels change and vary over time just like our levels of support and resilience change yeah. so we can see those as normal changes and that sometimes we're just in that kind of seek empowerment quadrant where you're going to need to ask for help and that's just as important as giving help to other people uh, then we're going to get somewhere where we're going to build this collective well-being and resilience for all but right now there is that stigma of that we're all almost on the same page and we compare ourselves to each other and that's yep. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I, I want to echo that, that, that has been a really powerful tool that I've been able to even, even myself use because, you know, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. We're not all in the same place. We're not all in the same, in the place where we're stress-free. And at the end of the day, there's absolutely no way to be stress-free. Yeah. All we can do is manage it. Like there's always going to be stress. If you're alive, you're going to stress. Right. Yeah. And, and so what are we trying to teach kids is what we need to teach ourselves is, managing the stress because there's always going to be stress you know there yeah. people come to me i'm overwhelmed me too like yeah. <laughs> yeah you know it's uh it's getting my monkey off my back and putting it on someone else's back but it's yeah. still there's going to be another monkey later it's yeah yeah it really is you know <laughs> about managing stress and so having a tool like that that you can then start to self-gauge will normalize that fact that yes stress is going to happen you walk out the door stress is right there yeah if you turn on the TV, it's stress. I mean, I, yeah. I looking at the um, the trial. I mean, the, the trauma that brings up, yeah. you know, and then looking at these shootings again, and then yeah. remembering the Gilroy shooting, remembering yeah. San Antonio, like these that's things. Right. That's right. Creep back up, you know. Right. And and um, Paulina, when you were talking about the Lakota, those are historical traumas that that we yeah. that that no matter what, even when we talk about them, even as a history teacher talking about the Mexican American War, talking. Yeah. All those things they 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 remind us right of those places that that society puts us in. Yeah, where we walk out the door and we have to be someone else than who we are on the inside of our house. Yeah, yeah, powerful stuff. Paulina, what would you add to that? 
I was just going to say that about the tool that Emily and mm -hmm. Dr. Gutierrez referred to, it's a good tool to kind of check in to see where you're at. And that fluctuates depending on the situation and um, kind of what Dr. Gutierrez was saying about um, the, the traumas of, of the indigenous peoples. I know that it kind of reminds me of what, um, of what, um, there was an author who said something like, you know, is these violence, you know, in our society. Yeah. And all that is going to is going to continue until until America basically atones for and acknowledges what they have done to people of color, whether it's the indigenous peoples yeah. and taking land, you know, murdering people for land yeah. or what has happened to African-Americans displacing them and robbing them of their their labor and just people's, you know, people of color have experienced all kinds of, of trauma here in America. And it's going to continue until we acknowledge that. And it, it's hard to, um, to, to do that, I think. And, and it's Vine Deloria that, that said mm -hmm. that in his books. And it's just so, so important that, you know, like, we don't even acknowledge what other people are going through sometimes. And I think, you know, some of these practices, um, especially the reflective supervision, it helps you um, listen to other people and listen to yourself without without judgment. And I think as when we do that, I think we're able to to have empathy. And, and I think a lot of these times we don't have enough empathy. We don't have enough humanity and as teachers, you know, we need, that's what we're associated with. And I think the, all these tools, you know, we need them to, to keep functioning, to help our students and then to help ourselves and to help our own families. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the lack of empathy, which I think can also stem from lack of sort of self-awareness and, um, and sort of self-confidence, you know, based on our situations, there's a very strong correlation there. We're, we're going to wrap up here, but, um, you know, folks, definitely check out uh, centerforcognitivediversity.com. Uh, the, um, the <coughs> excuse me, ugh, the uh, dynamic empowerment assessment, five minute uh, tool that you can use and just kind of self-monitor a little bit. Um, the the topics come up a couple of times and I probably should have asked earlier about it, but I'm really interested in this uh, reflective super, supervision uh, process. Well, what can you kind of share about how that works, um, you know, while still respecting your right to actually um, be compensated to continue to do this work, but, you know, kind of what, what's the idea behind the reflective super, supervision work? Well, when we were developing, we have a trauma-informed specialist program, and when we were developing that, we realized when you train people in addressing trauma and supporting students, you need to hold space for them and, and increase their emotional capacity. So in doing the research, we found reflective supervision is used in different settings. As a, as a school psychologist, I received clinical supervision for years. It decreased my levels of burnout because I wasn't always second guessing my decisions. Yeah. You said, Roger, like responding to the needs of kids all day, then you think about how you responded, you know, yeah. Yeah. and that's exhausting. And so um, when we found this model, we started to implement it in person and 
you know, that just doesn't work perfectly. So now it's been online for three years. Mm -hmm. uh, we hold two hour sessions every month for, for small groups. David is a facilitator for us. All right. Doctor <laughs> facilitator. We have several other facilitators that are holding space for educators around the country. You can learn more at cognitive.com, but really it's just a space to come together, celebrate success reflect on the impact of trauma on our responses and recognize that as a trauma response, not personality, you know, yep. and we discuss cases and we practice mindfulness together. Um, it is accredited by Cal State, our program. So okay. people get graduate credits for participating in that. We also have drop-in sessions and uh, yeah, reach out. We, we work with schools. We provide training for collective well-being and hold listening circles virtually right now for for educators to come together in their communities and, and sure. support each other. We have the resources. We just need to have that facilitation and support so that yep. we can validate that. Yeah, oh, that's that's terrific. That's terrific. Well, um, Emily Santiago, Dr. David Gutierrez, Paulina Wien, uh, uh, Whitehat, sorry, uh, just uh, deep, deep appreciation for you all coming in and spending some time uh, sharing your work. This is going to be something that our community is just going to really love. And hopefully we can get folks to look at the resources that you provide. We don't have to do it all. Uh, the Center for Cognitive Diversity is doing a lot and, um, you know, creating some powerful tools for reflection for us and for healing. Um, okay. As we close off, just a really quick question. We'll make y'all do a top five um, because, you know, we've already gone kind of long, but um, what's the music you're feeling right now? Um, what is it that, uh, you know, are there artists, um, you know, stuff that kind of gives you um, some good stuff? So I'll give an example. I was just looking on my phone to see what I've been playing a lot. I think I've been playing Tupac's Changes like every day for about the last three months. And it's interesting because if you just read the lyrics, it feels like not a very positive song. It's talking about these really like tough times. But um, as I as I look at it and listen to the music and listen to how he speaks about trauma and pain and crisis, I'm kind of like, yeah, that's exactly how it feels like that's exactly how it feels. And um and it oddly actually encourages me to know that I'm not the only person suffering this and this isn't my fault personally and that um, there are some insights to gain. So what are y'all feeling right now in terms of your music? Emily's doing the not it. <laughs> well, I have to say not super cool, but having a preteen in the house and connecting with her around music has been interesting. So Taylor Swift's album, you know, I mean, has been has been playing a bit, but I think it just comes <laughs> to like crossing the generations, you know, yep. and being able to connect with my child. But um, yeah, that's my daughter is like really into like metal and like rock and stuff, and so um, so my chemical romance speaks to a lot of pain in some pretty meaningful ways as well. So I can relate to that. Oh, I think you're muted, David. Oh, I'm, I know. I know. Used to this by now, right? Always that. Well, you would think you, would, but you know, we all do it. <laughs> oh man, I, I, I had like five minutes of a staff meeting where I was like, "Wait, why didn't anybody tell me?" It's like, <laughs> are that productive? Why do you hate me so much? Oh, I'm muted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like oh, so um, you know, I uh, I grew up Spanish music mostly, and, uh, right now I'm going back to my high school rock and español, caifanes. Oh, that's good stuff. 
Uh, we got Leon Larregui uh, right now. I'm also yep. listening to a little bit of Nunca Jamas when I'm really getting into the Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, uh, But I also have to keep it, you know, I'm trying to get my daughter into Spanish music. There you go. And uh, so right now, the only two that she really likes, Shakira and Selena. So okay. I have to throw on that bidi bidi bam bam. Yep, 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 yep. You can always, you can always work out for that. I love the resurgence of Selena. It's been great. The Anything for Selena podcast was like life changing. It's such beautiful stuff. Yeah, I feel like um, I I got my daughter into Mana, which made me really happy. Um, Enanitos Verdes. We we will scream Mil Horas um, when we're on our way to her soccer practice. Oh, come perro. Yeah, it's good stuff. Oddly enough, we uh, we were watching, we as a family were watching and, you know, whatever it is, but Brooklyn Nine-Nine oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, had that one, uh, it was a se- uh, segment where they had a lineup uh-huh. and they're trying to look for a murderer and they're like, okay, can you tell me what he was saying? I don't know. I didn't see him, but he was uh, singing that one song by, uh, what was it? Um, and anyway, so he has uh, the people kind of sing it. Like number one, you are my fire. The second oh, one, that's right. <laughs> Tell me why. Yeah. And it's like, oh, number five. Number five is the one who killed my brother. He's like, oh, uh, <laughs> forgot about that. So that song we've been listening to because she was thinks it's so hilarious and she just keeps, but it got her into that song. And so now we all listen to it in the car. Well, now it's a meme. There's like this call for me and a bunch of other like male teachers at our school to like do a lip sync of it. And um not sure where it came from. Um, <laughs> it's wild. Paulina, what about you? What about the music you're feeling right now? I am into, I've been listening to a lot of um, a young, um, he's Oglala Sioux. He's, his name is Spur Puryear. And mm. I listen to a lot of his music and mostly the, the songs that are like uplifting. They're like prayers and mm. getting in touch with, you know, talking to, to the creator. And so just that's where I've been at because just my my community on Navajo Nation was has been hit really hard by the pandemic. So yeah. I just feel like I need something uplifting and yeah. and his you know, his music and what he's saying is you know, exactly where I'm at. That's what I need. I need wow. something for my, for my soul, yeah. for my spirit. And it's like, I need that. So that's, so that's really helped me. And, yeah. and I'm thankful that we have young indigenous people who know their language and who can use that to, to inspire other people and try to lift their spirits because that's what we need. Yeah. And I'm so glad that people like him and young, other young folks like him are out there. Yeah. Thank, thank you for that. You, you know, one thing that occurs to me, I, like I think about a few years ago, uh, we had the the Lakota rapper Frank Wallen come and perform at our school. And this this was before he like really, really blew up. And um, and he's someone I keep on rotation because being connected to the ancestors and being connected to the things that kind of brought you where you are and kind of gave you your spirit, like that's really powerful stuff. The other thing that occurs to me as I listen to all three of you speak is y'all could all just be your own episode. Like we have three like brilliant people. Emily's already gotten to do it, but I mean, shoot, we can bring her back. Cause uh, just, I, I feel like I could listen to y'all speak for hours and um, I'm just incredibly grateful um, that you all took the time. Um, definitely support the center for cognitive diversity. Um, but really, um, really overall it's, it's not easy, but it's simple. 
um, see what's going on with the people in your community and authentically respond um, mm -hmm. from a good place. And I think that is powerful stuff. Um, what are some things you all are working on that uh, listeners can support, promote, be a part of, all that kind of stuff? Can, can they follow you? Are they allowed to follow you on social media? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're Cognitive Center uh, on Twitter and Facebook, I think. And I'm Emily Santiago. Or I, I can't remember what I am on Twitter at this point. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, just reach out. It's all about having agency and supporting each other in this journey. And that's, you know, what our collaboration here is as well. So yeah. thank you. awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I, my Twitter is not that um, active at the moment, but I was yeah. pretty active a while ago. Yep. <laughs> uh, ever since uh, a certain administra administration uh, changed over, I'm, I'm getting back into Twitter a little more. <laughs> yes. Uh, but if, uh, if they want to follow me, I'm uh, at, at Smooth Educator with an eight. Yo, I love that. That is, uh, that is great great handle yeah yeah something happened in january that made it um a, a kind of it gave it a different feel um yeah. definitely <laughs> and paulina what's the work that you're doing right now um are you in a position where folks are able to connect with you i'm i guess sadly <laughs> i'm <laughs> i'm not on social media i don't know if that's sad. <laughs> i feel like i do it for my own peace of mind and I do follow other people who have yes. public um, accounts but just trying to I guess just trying to help other other folks who need help with with their wow. research ideas and then just really into the teacher burnout and just doing that work and it, it's a lot of work that needs to be done and a lot needs to be understood. So just doing that work. I would, I would say getting that, um, that dissertation focused and decided on like, I, I can't imagine where there'd be time for much else. <laughs> so um, you're doing the great work around teacher burnout as a systemic, not in, not a personal issue. And that's really powerful. Well, folks, um, we've come to the end of our time. I really, really am so happy that you all have been here. If people are enjoying what you're getting on the Two Dope Teachers and a Mic podcast, you can follow us at Two Dope Teachers um, on Instagram and Twitter. You can also like us uh, at Two Dope Teachers on Facebook. Show ideas, uh, questions, email us, twodopeteachers at gmail.com. And if you really, really like what we're doing, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash twodopeteachers. We are so grateful for our supporters. Shout out to Emily as one of our patrons. Beautiful thing. And, um, and you know, all the rest of y'all who, uh, who give what you can each month to allow that this work um, continues. So for Emily Santiago, do you want to say something? You on mic? Oh, okay. Um, so for Emily Santiago, for Dr. David Gutierrez, and for Paulina Whitehat, soon to be Dr. Paulina Whitehat, um, I am Gerardo Munoz, wishing you a wonderful rest of your weekend. And on behalf of Kevin, uh, stay strong, stay open, stay honest, stay transparent, and stay dope, y'all. <laughs>